Jeremiah 31, read a few verses there. We may uh, turn to a couple of other scriptures tonight, but Jeremiah chapter 31. I am, um, very rarely do we come to church and talk much about current events, political events, geopolitical events, those things. Uh, but what is in the news right now with Israel uh, is certainly of importance and certainly of interest to us. It should be uh, because it does concern Israel. And uh, I, I want to I address that tonight. I'll give you a little bit of history, a little bit of background, and then we'll look at some scriptures tonight and try to have a biblical perspective on what is happening. I'm going to... Um, do everything I can tonight. Not to, this will not be a political screed, all right? Um, uh, it, it could turn into that. I, I don't don't want it to be that. Uh, if you are a liberal or a Democrat, you'll probably not enjoy tonight, okay? Um, but this is not it's not a political rally. It's church, and we're interested in what the Bible has to say. And so Jeremiah 31 will just begin in verse 10. Just read a few verses here. Hear the word of the Lord. O ye nations, and declared in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their soul shall be as a watered garden, and they shall not borrow any more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them, and make them rejoice from their sorrow. And I will satiate the soul of the priests with fatness. My people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. And then just turn over here to verse 35, same chapter. Verse 35, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, sun, moon, stars, if those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me, forever. I get all of my news from online sites, and uh, I saw yesterday morning, of course, the war uh, that Israel is in now with, with Hamas. Hamas is the terrorist arm, at least one of the terrorist arms, of the Palestinian Authority. They occupy and control what is known as the West Bank and the Gaza Strip in Israel. They are funded by Iran. This is not opinion. This is, this is fact. Amen. So when Hamas attacks Israel, it is a proxy war between Israel and Iran. Right, right. It's much like the United States using Ukraine to wage a war against Russia. So Iran uses Hamas to wage war against Israel. Right. So early Saturday morning, Hamas launched different reports. One report is 3,500. The other report is 5,000 rockets into Israel called on all Palestinians to invade Israel. They came in, crossed the border, paragliders. You, you've seen the reports. Several hundred Israelis have been killed, many hundreds more wounded. 
many civilians kidnapped, not just Israelis, but Americans and different nationalities. Uh, the Israeli military, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force has responded. They have begun striking back, and, and you will see more and more of that in days and probably weeks and months to come. The thing about the IDF is that when they strike, they strike fast and hard. They, 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 they mean business, and so I'm sure that Hamas and the funders of Hamas will pay a very great price for what has happened in Israel. The haters of Israel are, um, and they were dancing on the streets of New York City, London, different places. But the haters of New York saying that, say that this was all provoked. Uh, there is a mosque on the Temple Mount, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's a, one of the most holy sites in Islam there on the Temple Mount right there in East Jerusalem. And the report is that in days prior, Israeli forces have gone into the mosque and harassed people and, and, and what have you. And, and even if there were provocations, there is no justification for a full-scale war against the civilians of Israel. And so if you read that, if you read that, just know that I, I don't buy it. And of course, all the nations have chimed in and they have voiced their positions. I have been frankly surprised at how much support that other nations have given to Israel. And I've wondered about that. And I, I told brother, I told somebody this morning that sometimes the enemy overplays their hand. And, and, and it may be seen that that is what Hamas has done is that they have overplayed it this time because sometimes the attacks are so atrocious that they just cannot be ignored or be excused. And that may be what has happened. Saudi Arabia and Qatar uh, has come out and they have blamed Israel for provoking the attacks. Other nations have come out um, and have pronounced solid solidarity with Israel. Uh, the White House um, was slow to respond but came out and said, we condemn the attacks, no justification of terrorism, we stand with Israel, we'll help them in every way. I think that um, Americans are, are weary of the war that we are financing in Ukraine and probably see a lot of that war as just a money laundering scheme for Democrats and the Bidens and what have you. But now here is another war that we would be drawn into. That's probably what most Americans think. And, and again, not to turn this into a political screed, but we did release $6 billion just a few weeks ago to Iran. Now, the White House tried to cover that by saying, well, that's not to fund terrorism, that's for humanitarian aid, so use your other money for rockets. Don't use the money we gave you. Use that money for toys and food and what have you, but, but you're silly if you trust a, a terrorist. And so... It looks like that we may have even helped finance, pay for some of this aggression. That's all the political that I'll get tonight. Whenever there is war in the Middle East, however, I think that we definitely should pay attention. Now, I said this morning that, that I am very cautious. I'm, very, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no prophecy expert, all right? But I, I am very cautious trying to interpret every current event in the light of Bible prophecy. I am sure that Bible prophecy is being fulfilled all around us every day. That, that the signs of the time are all around us and this thing is setting up for Jesus to come and for the end time. What I'm not sure is specific events being direct fulfillment 
of any Bible prophecy. When 9-11 happened, prophecy preachers scrambled to find some kind of prophetical implication to that. Personally, I don't believe that America is in the Bible. I don't see the United States in the Bible, much less the 9-11 attacks. What we are sure of is that the Middle East is the epicenter of Bible prophecy. It is all going to run right through Israel. And if you want to see prophecy being fulfilled, then look at Israel, not, not America. And for that reason, I'm always interested in what's going on in that part of the country. If you want to understand what's happening in the world, then don't look at the experts, then go look at the Bible. You'll never learn the truth about the Middle East and about Israel from the evening news or political talk shows because this is a biblical thing and the pundits don't know a thimbleful of the Bible. So always ignore what the experts say and just find out what the Bible has to say. Now they've been fighting, they've been fighting the Israelis and Palestinians for 75 years. So the question is, what are they fighting over? Why, why can't they get along? And the answer is, depends on who you ask. The Palestinians are fighting because they hate Israel. The Israelis are fighting for survival. Politically speaking, the Israelis want the right to exist as a sovereign state and to be recognized from the Arab nations. The Palestinians want to be an independent state as well, and they want to be recognized by Israel as an independent state. Now, the problem is they want to do it on the same piece of ground. They want to do it on the same piece of property with the same city, Jerusalem, as their capital. So there are two groups that are claiming ownership to the same land. One is trying to take it away from the other, and the other is trying to defend it from the one. Now tonight I don't have time to go into the covenants, all right, and go to Genesis 12 and these different passages. But our position on Israel, our position on Israel is that God has covenanted himself to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It would take all evening for us to go to the Abrahamic covenant, to the Canaan covenant, which is sometimes called the Palestinian covenant, I think more correctly, the Canaan covenant. But they are all explicit promises by God that he would give this particular land to Israel and that Israel would be a favored people. In 1422 BC, 1400 years before Christ, Joshua, led the children of Israel across the Jordan River, and they took possession of that land called Canaan. It was not a full possession. They didn't drive all of the inhabitants out, but that land became the home for the nation of Israel. And the Jews called it home until A.D. 70. In A.D. 70, Titus, the Roman general, came into Jerusalem, destroyed the city, dispersed the people, and the destruction and the dispersion was so great that Israel as a nation ceased to exist. From AD 70 all the way to 1948, that land was sporadically occupied by Arab peoples, but there was no formal nation in that land. In all of that time, from 8070 to 1948, 
There was no official people. There was no independent state. There was no idea that, that they wanted to make that as, as a new nation. The city of Jerusalem was occupied, destroyed several times throughout that, but was never claimed as a capital for any particular state. But in 1881, there was a Jew named Theodore Herzl. And Theodore Herzl founded or was one of the founders of the Zionist movement to reestablish a state, a nation, in the land of Israel. At that time, the British Empire controlled that part of the world. And it became politically expedient for Britain to sign on to that movement, to give that land to Jews and allow them to reestablish their nation. That decision was formally declared on November the 2nd, 1917 in what is called the Balfour Declaration. I, I just give you a little bit of history here. The prime minister was Lord Arthur James Balfour. He is the one that presented that declaration to the parliament to allow Israel to resettle in the land and to afford them civil protections. Immediately, all of the surrounding Arab nations opposed Jews taking control of that land. So Britain almost immediately reneged on their promise. Now, I tell you this because if you, were, if you went to public school, you didn't hear this. Right. And I'm going to tell you something that you won't hear on CNN tonight, all right? Because you hear about the Palestinians, the two-state solution. So, so that land was given to Israel. Arab nations opposed it. You can go check the history of it. And, and so Britain reneged on the promise, and they carved out 77% of that land, and they called it the Transjordan. That's going to be the Palestinian state. That's now called the country of Jordan. It is four times larger than the landmass of Israel. So the next time you hear the news tell you that all of the Palestinians won is just their own state, just know they already have one. All right, it's called Jordan. That, that's the name of the Palestinian state. 77%, but that, but that was not enough. The Arabs began fighting the settlers until finally the United Nations had to step in with UN Resolution 81. And it declared Israel has a right to be an independent nation in this land. The British gave themselves six months to withdraw as occupiers and to turn it over. And the date set for the establishment of Israel as a new state was May 14, 1948. I believe that that day, May 14th, 1948, is the most important date of the 20th century. That is the day of the rebirth of Israel. Within 24 hours of them declaring independent state, the armies of Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and Iraq violated the treaty and attacked Israel. These nations warned uh, the Arab settlers to flee into neighboring countries and promised that you could return when they drive the Jews into the sea. When the war was over, new boundaries were drawn. Those Arab refugees were allowed to settle in what is called the West Bank. There was about 600,000 of them and they were considered political refugees, so the rest of the world took pity on them with aid and food and 
clothing and that kind of thing. The only nations, again, go check your history, the only nations that did not send them aid were the Arab nations that surrounded Israel. Those refugees now number between two to three million people. They are the Palestinians who are now demanding a homeland in the nation of Israel. And it ought to be pointed out that the 21 Arab nations in the Middle East has a land mass of 650 times greater than the land mass of Israel. The Palestinians have never been offered and would never settle for anything other than the specific land of Israel. One of the biggest lies that the anti-Semitic liberal news media would tell you is the lie of the Palestinians. The news media talks about the Palestinians like they are a separate nation and that Israel is the bully occupying their land. But the concept of a Palestinian people who have lived for thousands of years in this land and hasn't been taken away, that, that is a lie. The Bible never talks about a people called the Palestinians. There has been no other inhabitant of the land that was ever called a Palestinian. Where the word actually comes from, Palestine, and this is the reason why I don't call it the Palestine covenant, I call it the Canaan covenant. Well, the term Palestine, and I'll get off the history here just real quick. It goes all the way back to A.D. 130. In A.D. 130, the Romans had destroyed Jerusalem in in A.D. 70, and, and now they came back in in A.D. 130 to rebuild the temple or, or the city. And they rebuilt the city as a, as a pagan city. They rebuilt a temple, and it was a pagan temple. And the Jews in the land living there revolted, and hundreds of thousands of them were slaughtered. And the Romans named Israel Syria-Palestine in spite of the Jews. And the Jews living there became known as Palestinians, and that's where the name come from. However, in 1948, when the Arabs had to flee Israel in the war, they began to claim that they were Palestinians and that the land had always belonged to them, and now the news media propagates that lie. There is no language known as Palestine. There is no distinct Palestinian culture. There has never been a land known as Palestine governed by Palestinians. One of the founders of the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, here's what he said. He said, the Palestinian people do not exist. The creation of a Palestinian state is only a means for continuing our struggle against the state of Israel for our Arab unity. Only for political and tactical reasons do we speak today about the existence of a Palestinian people. Since Arab national interests demand that we posit the existence of a distinct Palestinian people to oppose Zionism. That's one of the founders of the PLO. Now, I'll stop with the history of it, all right? But you can look at the Six-Day War, you can look at the Yom Kippur War in 1973. There have been peace accords like the Camp David Accords. Every president has tried to put them together. Israel has always been pressured to trade land for peace. They're realizing that experiment has not worked. Israel is called the occupiers of the Palestinians' territory, and that is a lie. 
of the United States has always been an ally of Israel, but we have used that alliance to push Israel into a very dangerous position. Israel is full of liberals, just like America is. Their government is very, very liberal. It's atheistic. It's very left-wing, and they have not done themselves any services as well. We have pressured them into giving away Gaza and the West Bank, and in so doing, we have allowed the enemies of Israel to exist 11 miles away from Tel Aviv, just 11 miles away. Now, whenever there is war in Israel, we, we think automatically of prophecy because we know that Israel will be at the center of end time events. We know that Antichrist at some time will make a covenant with Israel, that there will be an interlude of peace, and then there will be war. Uh, we won't get into this tonight. Some think that Israel will make that covenant with Israel out of a position of strength. I thought they've been battered and about to be destroyed, and he comes in as a peacemaker. Others believe, I would probably favor this, that they make this position, this treaty from a position of strength. And I would go to Psalm 83, and that, that's something for another time. We know that the greatest end time wars will, invade, will involve Israel, it will involve Russia, it will involve China, and, and we don't know if, if this is one of those wars or if this is just another war. When is the battle of Gog and Magog? When is the battle of Psalm 83? When is the battle of Armageddon? But keep your eyes on Israel because all end time events run through Israel. The greatest mystery in the world today is the nation of Israel. Frederick the Great of Prussia was a staunch Lutheran and was a very religious man. But he started the reading the writings of Voltaire and he began to doubt his faith. Wasn't sure if he's a believer or an agnostic, he didn't know. So one day Frederick the Great called in one of his court chaplains and said, I want you to forget your philosophy, I want you to forget your theology. I need proof that there is a God. I need proof that the Bible is the word of God. And that court chaplain knew his Bible. And that court chaplain looked at Frederick the Great and he said two words and walked away. I need proof that there is a God and that the Bible is the word of God. That court chaplain looked at him and said, the Jew, Amen. and turned around and walked away. Do you realize that the Jewish nation is the only nation whose origin can be, ancient nation, whose origin can be traced with absolute certainty. No one knows who the first German was. No one knows who the first Spaniard or the first Chinese was. But everybody knows that Abraham is the first Hebrew. There's probably nobody in here that could tell me how the Phoenician empire got its start, all right? If you can, then you are a true historian. I doubt that you know the birth of the Babylonian or the Roman Empire, but we do know the exact beginning of the nation of Israel. Who does not know that 100-year-old Abraham and 90-year-old Sarah had a son named Isaac? And who does not know that this seed of Abraham, this son Isaac, is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And today there are, I don't know how many million Jews, but every one of them owes their existence to a 100-year-old father and a 90-year-old mother. And the Jews are the greatest miracle and greatest mystery in history 
and in the world. The greatest event of the 20th century was the rebirth of the nation of Israel. That nation had not existed for 2,000 years as a nation. And out of the dust of that desert, it is reborn again. The Bible is full of all kinds of analogies. Uh, Ezekiel 38, the, the valley of dry bones. Uh, uh, the, the, the fig tree shall blossom again. And the book of Matthew is full of all of those analogies. When Israel, when Israel was born and recognized as an independent state by the United Nations, there were 600,000 Jews living in the land. They were surrounded by 40 million Arabs who vowed that we will destroy you the moment that they came into existence. And it is a miracle that Israel survived. The day that Israel became a nation in 1948, they were outnumbered 40 to one in troops, 100 to one in population, and 1,000 to one in military equipment. Remember that Great Britain controlled that land. They, they controlled that land. And before they were declared an independent state, Britain did not allow the Israelis to own a gun. They were not allowed to own weapons. They made it illegal. The law was in effect, in effect up to 24 hours before the birth of the nation. Within 24 hours of being born a nation, now all of a sudden they are attacked. How are they going to defend themselves? I've got a book in my library. It's an old book. It's called Old Jerusalem. And it's the history of Jerusalem and it talks about that. They went from not being able to carry a gun to having to defend themselves against 40 million Arabs who are armed to the teeth. So they took boiler plates and they welded them to school buses to make tanks. They took hoe handles and broomsticks in the battle. They used firecrackers because they didn't have ammunition, as much ammunition, and they used firecrackers to make it sound like that there was more ammunition than what there really was. It, it is amazing what they did. By the time that the United Nations stepped in in 1949 and called a ceasefire, Israel had advanced 150 miles in the Egyptian territory and was taken more every day. In 1967, in 1960, and I'll get off the history, Egypt, Syria, and Jordan tried to exterminate the Jews in what is called the Six-Day War. It is called the Six-Day War because that's all the time that it took for a people who were outnumbered 80 to 1 to, to, to amass three times the land territory that they had before the war. Six days is all that it took. Now, 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 you say, well, what is, what, what's behind all of that? Well, I read the verses in Jeremiah 31 and verse 35 and verse 36, where God says that if the sun quits rising and the moon quits shining and the waves do not roll onto the shore anymore, when that happens, then Israel will cease to exist. By the way, I think that Jeremiah 31, verse 35 and 36 ought to be read in the halls of every government of the world. It would have saved a whole lot of people a whole lot of trouble if they just believed the Bible and had spared themselves some trouble. Where are the Babylonians? Where are the Hittites? Where are the Amorites? 
Well, where are all of those people? They are all gone. They are no more. But the Jew still stands. There are three things on earth that are indestructible. It is the word of God. It is the church of God. And it is the nation Israel. Now, when God founded Israel as a nation, he gave them a land. He gave them a law. He gave them a language. And he was their Lord. But here's what Israel did. They defiled the land. They defied the law. They deserted the language and they denied the Lord. When God brings them back, we've seen the beginning of it. When God brings them back, all of that will be restored. Now watch this. The land has been revived. Go, go to Amos chapter 9 for just a minute. Amos chapter 9, if you can find that. Amos 9, and end of the book, Amos 9, look at verse number 14. If you get to Jonah, back up. All right? If you're Hosea, keep going. Amos 9 and verse 14. I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, and drink the wine thereof, they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled out, out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Way back in the um, late 19, uh, 1990s, I was privileged to go to Israel. I've only been one time, it's my dream to be able to go back. I don't want to go back right now, but I, I would. <laughs> I would love to go back to Israel. I, I, I would love to go back. When, when the Zionist movement began in uh, the late 1800s and the early 1900s, the land of Israel was a barren desert. It's, just, it's, it's a desert is all that it is, and it's full, full of rocks. Today, Israel is only one of six nations that produces enough food to feed all of its people and to export food as well. 50 years ago, the Valley of Megiddo was a swamp. But today, the Valley of Megiddo produces up to four crops a year. In 1948, when, when, when the war started and then uh, all, the nation, all the Arab nations declared war against them, and then 1949, the UN stepped in, ceasefire. Part of that ceasefire was they, re, they had to redraw the line of Israel, what, what, what the boundary of Israel. And Israel agreed to withdraw from parts of what's called the West Bank. And they called it the Green Line, supposedly because it was drawn with a green pin on the map. And this, this we redrew the lines. It's been drawn several times. So it's called the Green Line. However, there's a highway from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv. Brother Bert, you've been on it. There's a highway from, from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, and it runs along that Green Line. On one side is Israeli territory, and the other side is West Bank territory. It is astonishing the contrast between the two sides. On one side, I, I've driven the highway and I still remember it vividly. The, the, the landscape is lush, it is green, there are vineyards and, and, it's, and, it's, and you can see where they've taken rocks and, and, and built rock fences and what have you. And, and, it, and it's just, it's producing and it's growing. And on the other, and I'm not being racist at all, but on the other side, it's just as barren as it can be. Just as barren as it can be. Where, where, where those Israelis, where those Jews came in, 
it, it crops are growing and, and, it's, and, it, and the Bible says in Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. That's happened, that has happened. That land has been revived. There, there, there is a, um, there, there is a, a settlement in, in, in the Gaza Strip. There was a settlement of, of 17 different cities called Gush Katif, Gush Katif. And, and when I was in Israel, uh, the group that I was with, with went and visited Gush Katif. You can look it up, G-U-S-H-K-I-T-I-F. I, I encourage you to do that. Gush Katif was an agricultural compound, but the land is it's just sand, it's just sand. One agricultural expert said, he said, I could grow hair on the palm of my hand before I could grow anything in Gush Katif. It's just not land suitable for farming. So the Jews came in, those 17 settlements, they built 4,000 greenhouses. And they began to experiment with hydroponics and aeroponics. Hydroponics planting in water, aeroponics planting in air. They began to experiment that. And, and, and we visited, I, I can still remember visiting some of those greenhouses and I was absolutely amazed at how much produce, how much vegetables that they were growing just in Gush Kedip. They produced more vegetables there than anywhere else and they exported all over the world from that desert. It was amazing. In 2005, I was there in the late 1900, 1990s, <laughs> In 2005, Ariel Sharon, and I can't remember whether this had been under Bush or who it was under, but Ariel Sharon turned Gaza over to the Palestinians. And they expelled 8,800 Jews that were living there, called it their home. Go, go, go read about it in the Jerusalem Post, all right? It's still a scar in Israel. And, and read about Gush Katif, how the soldiers came in, into those settlements and into those homes, and forcibly drove all those Jews out and turned that whole territory over to the Palestinians. The Palestinians came in and they bulldozed all of those greenhouses. And today, Gush Katif produces nothing. Now again, you're not gonna hear that on CNN. The second largest dairy farm in Israel was in Gush Katif. It is no longer in operation. 120 million in flowers and produce Exported every year from Gush Katif today, nothing. 10,000 people were employed, including 5,000 Palestinians. All of them lost their job. 60% of Israel's tomato exports, and I was in this greenhouse where, where they, they were growing it up, 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 up trestles and then across, and it was absolutely amazing. And all of that is gone, but that land has been revived under Israel. The language. The language has been, ex, has, been, has been resurrected. The Old Testament was written entirely in Hebrew, just a few sections in Aramaic, but, but in Hebrew. But Hebrew was a dead language. In the New Testament, Greek took over. So Hebrew died, Greek took over, became the predominant language of that day. But languages run their course, and then they give way to other languages. Today, English, Chinese, Spanish, those are the dominant languages in the world. But when a language dies, it never comes back. Right. Yeah. Phoenician is never going to come back. Who speaks Koine Greek today? When a language dies, it dies. Hebrew, 
was a dead language. In the time of the New Testament, it has been dead for 2,000 years. But in the early 1920s, there was a Jew that was a part of the Zionist movement, and he got under a burden for resurrecting the Hebrew language. And he determined, he determined that he would never speak any other language except Hebrew, and he would teach it to his children. In 1922, the League of Nations recognized Hebrew as a spoken language of the world. It is the only language that has been restored to life in the history of mankind. It is the official language of Israel. And nearly the entire population speaks Hebrew as their native tongue or as their second language. That has never happened to another language in the world. All of these signs, Israel's coming back, things are happening. I think it is setting up for the Lord to come. Yes. But there is one part that has not happened yet. The Lord is still rejected. Make no bones about this. Israel is not a Christian nation. Israel is an atheistic nation. But look at Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, second to last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 12 and there's so many passages we could read here. I'll just read one scripture here, verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. There are so many prophecies we can look at that talk about the salvation of Israel. But at the end of the tribulation, just before the second coming, the remnant of Israel will be hidden in a place called Basra. And they're going to look to God for their salvation. And Christ is going to come at that moment. He will lead them out of hiding. And Romans says that all Israel shall be saved. Today, it is illegal to go to Israel and to convert a Jew to Christianity. You can't go to Israel and start a church. Everything is done underhand. But one day, one day, every Jew will be converted and they will recognize Jesus Christ as their Lord. I say to you tonight, keep your eyes on Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Support candidates who are pro-Israel. And again, politically, Israel is very, very liberal. Their politics is a lot like the United States. Liberals have taken over, has corrupted their culture. They're very pro-homosexual. Tel Aviv called one of the homosexual capitals of the world. Politically, culturally, they are a godless country. They are not a Christian nation, but they are the people that God has chosen to set his seal on. We are pro-Israel, not politically, but because of Genesis chapter 12. We believe that God will keep his covenants with Israel. Now, I will watch the news on Israel as this progresses because I'm interested. I will tell you that I have absolutely no idea how it turns out. None. I sat this morning early and watched a video by Carolyn Glick. Carolyn Glick is the editor of the Jerusalem Post, and she posted a video on the Jerusalem Post, and, and I, I was surprised at it. She was giving her view of things, and I, I'm not familiar with her, but she basically said that the Israeli government has to wake up. Uh, she says that our leftist policies, appeasement, uh, peace, uh, land for peace has not worked. She said the Hamas experiment, the West Bank experiment 
has not worked. And she was calling for full-scale war on Hamas, absolutely obliterate them. And she said what Netanyahu says, I don't know if he means it, but, but she said that if you are a citizen in Gaza, get out because we're going to destroy it. And she said if everybody's concerned about the civilians, then take them in. But we, we have to go in and we have to absolutely obliterate Hamas. Now, now, now here's what I say. Here's what I say. I agree with that, but I don't rejoice in that. Okay? I, I, war is ugly. War is ugly. And I've never been in war. So for me to get up here and to beat war drums and beat my chest, say, oh, bless God, you know, drop an atomic bomb on them. Well, my mom is not living over there. Okay? Those aren't my children. You, you understand? There, there, there's, there's, there's a human, human thing to this. I would tell you that politically that I think that what has happened to Israel could happen here. Yes, could happen here. Absolutely. Under the Biden administration, 7.8 or 7.5 million illegal aliens across the southern border last couple of years. Over 5 million of them are single adult males that have been detained and released back into the United States. Crime rate, by the way, violent crime rate is increasing over all, all over our country. In August alone, August just of this year, the Border Patrol apprehended over 300,000 just in that one month. We're experiencing invasions, what we are. And it's, it's, it's intentional by our government. We're seeing rises in, in, in violent crime. And I think that the two things correlate. And I, and I say to you tonight that we are in very, we're in very trying times. We really are. Israel has been thrust into a war for her survival. I, I don't know if this is a precursor to World War III. I, I don't know anything like that. I know that a lot of nationalities are involved because their citizens have been taken hostage. I don't know if this war is a precursor to anything in Bible prophecy. Or is it just another war along the sword? I, I don't know. I think you have to be careful taking a headline from the newspaper and trying to put a Bible verse for that. I, I don't want to do that. But I know that generally end times runs through Israel. Whether this is the war or the next war or World War III, I don't know. But I know that war is coming. And I know Jesus is coming. And we're out of here and here we go. The world is changing before our very, very eyes. But in the most troubling times, I'll sleep well tonight. And I will face tomorrow with peace. We can be wise. We can prepare as best as we can. We can serve the Lord. We can be in his will. We can love God, love, love our neighbors. And if we look for an opportunity to, to be a light to the world, but we don't live in fear. And we don't panic. And we don't, we don't fret. We don't stress out about what our government is going to do next. You can't control that. We remember that our citizenship is in heaven. Jacob and Annie, you come. My allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And the governments of the world can, can, can crumble. America can fall as a superpower. The dollar can lose its dominance in the global economy. That, that, that could happen. The Marxists may succeed in totally taking over the government and turning us into Venezuela. Every doomsday prediction that you can possibly imagine could happen. It, it, it really could. I don't expect the war in Israel to end anytime soon. I don't expect this to be a little discovery, but, but I don't know. I don't know how this affects this, how it affects our economy. What's Russia going to do? What's going to happen with Iran? What, what's going to happen to the price of oil? I don't know. But here is what I know tonight. I know that there is a God in heaven who one day will laugh at the nations in their calamity. 
And I know, I know that God has covenanted himself with Israel uh, to, to that nation. I know that the Bible spells out his plans for Israel, for the nations, for the church, and that every word of his plan will be fulfilled. I know that I am in his will. He knows where I am. And no matter what happens to the world, he will take care of me. I'm in the center of God's will. I have no fear of the future. I, I am confident that it's all going to end up the way that God has designed it. When the dust is cleared, when the dust is cleared, Jesus Christ will be sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. Israel will be converted. And Gentile nations are going to come to Jerusalem to pay homage to their king. No, no matter, no matter how bleak your situation can be down here, no matter what ruin can come to you, to America, to whatever it might be, no matter how many rockets they rain down upon Israel, no matter what the headlines say tomorrow, in the end, there's nobody that has a more glorious and a brighter prospect than you and I and the nation of Israel. So pray for the peace of Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122 and verse 6. Pray for that nation and um, pray for our country. Our nation needs a lot of prayer. Pray for our church. Pray for one another. I think it's a wonderful time to live as a Christian. It's a wonderful time to be in the will of God. Amen. Be wise, prepare, do everything that you can. But live, live every day looking to the sky. It's a wonderful time for Jesus to come again.